This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. What if you could print a perfect bound paperback volume for as much time as it takes to brew a cup of coffee? That is the premise behind the Espresso Book Machine, which turns PDF documents into paperbacks in minutes. Jason Epstein and Dane Neller, chairman and CEO respectively of On Demand Books in New York, the company behind the Espresso Book Machine, believe their technology has the potential to transform the world of book publishing. Epstein, who was editorial director of Random House for 40 years, recently wrote a widely read essay in the New York Review of Books about the impact of digital technology on publishing. In an interview with Stephen J. Coburn, editor of Wharton School Publishing and Knowledge at Wharton, Epstein and Neller discussed their views on where the publishing business is headed. Uh, Mr. Epstein, I was fascinated with your article, New York Review of Books. Uh, and, and I think the first question we have is, what's a book in the digital age? Is it simply going to be a traditional book digitalized? Will it take new forms? Uh, will the term book still be relevant? What will we mean by a book as we move into to digital? Well, we're talking about two different things, content and format, right? Sure. sure. I, I think as far as content is concerned, that has been ex- extraordinarily stable over centuries. I think a book will remain a book in that sense, and no matter what the technology is. That doesn't mean that there won't be innovations, maybe short books that people can write on their cell phones the way they do in Tokyo and so on. Mm-hmm. But basically, a, a content will remain pretty much what it always has been. And uh, authorship will remain pretty much what it always has been. Uh, there's a lot of talk about um, community publishing, the focus groups and so on, to get together and writing a book. That's impossible. Uh, authors don't uh, encourage collaboration of that sort unless they unless they're writing books that require collaboration, as historians sometimes do. As a format, I think that eventually (coughs) all the content in the world is going to be digitized and available everywhere in the world in that form to be downloaded in uh, in one way or another, either to be read online or to be printed in book form by uh, Espresso or similar devices. Uh, what the proportion will be, it's impossible to say at this point. I think that my own guess is that the dominant format will be the traditional codex, which is a, a, a convenient, durable, and transportable. And the, at least in the American context, when you buy a book, a physical book in the bookstore, you own it. You can do what you want with it. Uh, when you download a digital file onto your Kindle, you don't own it. Uh, for fear that it will get loose and become viral, and then the copyright will be lost, so publishers have to protect that. And if I could, if I could just kind of add a little bit of just some more, maybe some more mundane statistics to that. And you know, statistics are, <laughs> I think, they're, they they could be used in any direction. But I think they're, they're, they do provide some benchmark that I think is useful to understand this. Um, um, there was a very interesting article um, written in the FT oh, a couple of weeks ago um, that kind of outlined. It was one of the best discussions I've seen in a long time 
about ebooks and print, um, and it was it was really it, they really looked at it both uh, at the national level and and then they broke it down between the U.S., Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Asia Pacific, so worldwide. Just to give put this in perspective, um, and this was done. This is a study that was done by Price Waterhouse Coopers, so it has some it has some authority behind it. So uh, uh, in the U.S., and this is in 2008, and this is just the consumer book market. Um, the uh, um, the, the e book market is kind of uh, I don't know. It's a little sliver of the of the overall twenty one point three. It's, it's about one percent. One percent, and and it's estimated to grow in in um, two thousand and thirteen to about three percent worldwide. So that leaves the print market at somewhere between ninety seven percent of the market. Now, this is the this is the key statistic. The print market is largely broken down between offset and toner based. Or digital and offset, and uh, the toner base, which, which is really what we're in, you know, which is a digital market, is currently in America. I don't have worldwide statistics for this, but I could probably get it. It's about six percent of the books uh, right now, so it's almost twice as big as the ebook market, and is estimated to grow to about to, to about fifteen percent in the next three to five years. So. That's that is often not understood. Is that that toner-based digital print-on-demand market is larger than e-books and is experiencing a growth curve that's higher than e-books, and that's in the U.S. So to under so one way to ask, ask about the the format is to look at those statistics, and and that kind of gives a little bit of a foundation for the discussion. Right now. Uh, as as we as you said the the book publishing business is uh, witnessing a shift from uh, physical inventory to digital distribution uh, could you tell us what uh, how how you see the implications for the different players in the value chain uh, for authors for publishers for retailers and for cu- cons- uh, customers oh that's a long question <laughs> uh, sorry about that uh, the short form is that when this all settles down, and it's nowhere near that yet, but within four or five years, something like settle down will have happened. Um, much of the infrastructure will be uh, eliminated because your digital file can go right from the uh, creator of it to the end user in one step with no intervening process. So to the extent that that becomes possible, Obviously, the pressure of the consumer will be less because there will be less cost involved, and the reward to the writer will be greater for the same reason, and the possibility of profit to the publisher will also be greater because he won't be investing in inventory and having to face inventory shrinkage and all the uh, infrastructure that goes with creating inventory. In other words, the publisher's risk will be much less because he won't have to print an edition. And... uh, uh, and there's and his cost will also be less. So I think in the in the digital future, those three conditions will will prevail: cheaper books, more goes to the author, and the publisher gets a better break. Okay, uh, but that's 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 an ultimate effect. It'll be there'll be a lot of static between now and then. Right. 
now, uh, uh, as, as this change is going on, how do you find book publishers responding to these changes? And what's right and what's wrong about the way they are reacting? Let me, let me tell you an anecdote. When I first joined the publishing business, as a, in, I was 21 years old, and uh, this was in 1951, something like that. Uh, it occurred to me that it might be a good idea, the company I worked in, called Double, it, was called, it was Doubleday, uh, to take some of the books that my uh, colleagues in graduate school, where I had just come from, uh, uh, weren't able to afford because they were all in hardcover and put them out in paperback because there was a new market given, uh, given the, the GI Bill that just after the war, the millions of people, who, kids who'd never been to college before were now going. And so, as, by some miraculous effect, the man I worked for said, okay, we'll try that. So we printed up 12 of them in that format, that paperback, permanent paperback format that would be sold in bookstores, not like the kinds that were sold in newsstands. And it, to make a long story short, it revolutionized the book trade. Now, none of my colleagues, none of the people who've been in the business all their lives, noticed that opportunity. And in fact, when I undertook it, they all said, oh, this will never work. What does he know about anything? And so on and so forth. So there's a lot of inertia, a lot of inertia in the publishing industry. It hasn't changed since that moment in 1951. Publishers are very loath to see uh, the next step. I can talk about other innovations that have occurred uh, that ought to have come out of the book business, but didn't. For example, Amazon should have come out of the book business. They should have seen that. In fact, I did see that when I created my reader's catalog, which in effect became Amazon. Um, and uh, the whole digitization process should have begun with the publishers. They should have seen that. They should see it now. They should have taken the initiative, not left it up to Google and Amazon. So eventually they'll come around, whichever of them are left, because this change is going to be revolutionary and some uh, uh, infrastructure won't be standing at the end of it. Also, you have to, if I might add, I mean, because I, I, uh, um, I do a lot of travel around the world, really, with, with what we're doing here. And a lot of times our, our focus is U.S.-based, because we think of about that way. But what is going on worldwide is phenomenal. Um, and it's it's a little when you have a a fairly well developed or very well developed supply chain in the U.S. Um, sometimes uh, it's harder to let go of what what's in place. In other areas of the world, like China and India and Pakistan, and even to, even a lesser extent in areas of Europe, that supply chain is not at nearly as um, developed. So the changes, so what's going to happen there in terms with digital information and kind of what Jason talks about, decentralized supply and consumption, in some ways is going to happen perhaps more rapidly. Well, look at but, China, Dan. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean China is, is just an example. India, just just to kind of put this in perspective. Well, explain our arrangement in China. Look what they're willing to do over there. I, yeah, I'll get into that um, in a second. But... Um, um, you look at these places, there are university towns alone that have 2 million uh, students. We just signed a deal with um, the China Publishing Group, which is the largest publishing company in China. It's effectively the Chinese government. 
Um, and their role, their goal here is to make available these machines throughout China and to print Chinese language books, English language books, French language books. Their focus right now is mainly in the scientific and, tra- and kind of professional side, but that over time will change. Uh, you're, you're talking about 1.6 billion people. Some have never actually even had seen books before. So, yeah, Pakistan. There's two million people who go to Islamabad University. I mean, this is just this is a phenomenon of, of enormous worldwide growth. Um, and I just came back from France, where I talked to a major library there. I, I have to stay off the record on that right now, but we got access to hundreds of thousands of their public domain files. So ultimately, what you're going to see is a vast multilingual um, database of files. I mean, I'm talking about vast, millions, where libraries, bookstores, cruise ships, they're all going to be able to, to, to print these things. And um, um, so uh, the other point I'd like to make, I think Jason touched on it, is that especially in the U.S. and in Europe, I think the bookstore a new bookstore will be a publisher. Uh, it will almost go back uh, with Blackwell, as an example, used to be a publisher. I think you're going to see more and more of that happening where uh, local uh, bookstores and some bookstores that have brand names will themselves go back into publishing and serve this enormous self-publishing market that we're seeing. It's just ready to explode. Hmm. Uh, I mean, there's one, one sort of uh, question regarding... Uh, d- the digitization of books, and I'll come back later to the, to the self-publishing m- m- uh, model. Uh, but if all individual books exist as essentially as single droplets in a vast digital cloud, how will each book be found? And what implications uh, does it have for the marketing yeah. of books? Let me, can I, let me talk about that, and I'll let Jason, because I'm... No, you're on, this, is your, this is your subject. This is my subject, so I'm on this right away. Okay, uh, again, and these are great questions, and I wish there was one answer. <laughs> there are multiple answers. That's fine. There's multiple, multiple answers genres. is fine, yeah. But let's take, let's, take this, let's take the university setting right now, because that's one that we're speaking to. So what will... Um, and let's take uh, library books, because that's... that's uh, I think that's an enormous growth area. So what will happen is that in many ways. One way, kind of what I would say, the kind of local way, is that these books will be found on the um, through some type of patron-driven model offered by the electronic catalog systems of every library. So if you're a student at Wharton or Harvard, uh, you'll be able to access um, the entire database of of the Harvard or Wharton Library, as well as the ability to choose new acquisitions uh, that could either be in ebook form or print form. So you're discover, you will discover it through that mechanism. Uh, the special those collections of the universities, which are uh, either public domain or for for whatever reason the library has rights to, will also be made available in our case throughout our Expresso system, which could then which then can be discovered either through that catalog system should the university want to open that up to other universities, which they will because interlibrary loans become enormous. So every library will have access to the other catalog. Or if it's outside of that market, it will be made accessible to places like Google, 
who will then be who will then make those books discoverable. It could be Google. It could be library. It could be websites of special interest. It could be Amazon. So there's already in place mechanisms of discovery uh, that are kind of just remote discovery. For discovery, it could be as simple for with our machine is that someone walks in and can ask for the book, and there'll be a computer monitor there where they can find what's available or ask the operator. So it's in store. It's kind of in site, kind of an intranet site. And then it will be through, those, through places like Google and Amazon. And that holds not just for that genre, but you can, you can kind of extrapolate it to you know, fiction market, trade market, in very similar ways. Let, let me, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. As an example, right now with Google, you know, we have two million of their public domain files that can be discovered. Right now, they're only discoverable in store, and very shortly, they'll be discoverable through the Google Book Search project. So you'll be able to type in a book, and, and you'll see an Expresso, uh, Expresso book machine icon. You could print on that. You could press on that and say, well, here's the, I, this book's available for Google. I want to have it printed out on the machine, and I either will go pick it up or have it sent to me. So it's important, you know, with our technology, while we expect that most books will be picked up on site, they don't have to be. They can also be shipped to the, to the end user. Let me push that a little further. You're talking basically about accessibility and availability. What about awareness? Right now, I think a lot of people become aware of books and, and thinking trade books, not the best-selling fiction and nonfiction books, in a bookstore. They pick the book up on the shelf and leaf through it. How are people, as McCool said, in the digital cloud, how are people going to become aware of books? How are they going to well, know they're going to exist? How are they going to get interest in this specific book? Well, word of mouth has always been the best way to sell a book. And the web is the word of mouth medium in spades. There's never been anything like it. So I think there'll be a, 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 a countless opportunities for viral publicity on YouTube and, and whatever its successes happen to be. Uh, that's something we've never had before. Yeah, I mean, Amazon does a very good job of that right now as well. And, and, and believe me, Google will do as well. So, I mean, there'll be ample opportunities to go into stores and see things and go online or through blogs. I, I think there's a, there's a, the, the publicity opportunities are just indescribably vast, uh, way different from the horse and buggy stuff we do now by sending review copies around and so on. I mean, it, it usually the backlist, um, you know, is it tends to be um, not always, but people usually they they they're, they know what they want, or if they don't know exactly what book they want, they have an area that they're experts in or like. If it's, you know, they like yachting. I, I can't. I mean, I give it real. These are real life examples that are happening now at the Harvard Bookstore. We we have a lot of books that are being printed out on the Google on, by, on Google. I mean, the Google public domain books, and. It, we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen. You know, some of us thought, well, they'll just be the classics, and others thought maybe not. That that machine is being used day in and day out, printing books that you probably have never heard of. I mean, literally, 19th century yachting, Dame Curtsy's book of candy making. I mean, so these there are people out there that know exactly what they want, or if they don't know the book, they're in a field that they they want to learn about. And 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 um, they're finding them. 
Uh, what, what role do you see for the espresso book machine in this brave new world of digital publishing? And can you give us a little bit of background about how you came up with the idea for the machine and what your experience has been? Oh, uh, how that I have, well, that uh, all my all my career, I've been concerned about backlist. I think I mentioned that in my article in the New York Review. Uh, rather more than current front list, that never really was my main interest. But I, I felt that that, that backlist first, first of all is what keeps publishers in business. It's like an annuity; is supposed to sell year after year with no effort and very little expense. And uh, that's also where our civilization resides in that overall backlist. And I noticed, as I said in that article, by, by the, somewhere in the middle 70s, that backlist began to deteriorate very rapidly, 60, 70,000 titles a year or more, and, uh, and growing. And there were two reasons for that, as I explained in that article. One was a change in the tax law that uh, made it... Uh, no longer possible to write off as a business expense unsold inventory. And the other was a demographic shift to the suburbs. Uh, the big independent bookstores, as it depended upon the city markets, were closing down and being replaced by shopping mall stores that couldn't carry backlist and had to depend upon current books and so on. So I try to offset this problem by uh, starting a project called the Reader's Catalog back in the middle 80s which was a telephone-sized directory of some 40,000 backlist titles that you could order by an 800 number. They, the Internet wasn't yet uh, commercialized. Uh, that was a huge success, but we were losing money on the shipping details and so on. It was very complicated, and I decided to give it up, and Amazon picked it up and put it online and became Amazon. Um, that didn't really solve the backlist problem, however. And then when digitization came in, I saw that there was an opportunity to solve it on a grander scale. Because with digitization, you could you could restore every book ever printed uh, to print. You could have a vast, almost infinite inventory at very little expense, and you can deliver it anywhere in the world on on uh, demand. And so I just in a series of lectures I gave at the New York Public Library in 1999 and said that what's, what's necessary to complete this technology is a device like an ATM that would receive a digital file on demand anywhere in the world and print it out as a library-quality paperback book. I printed that lecture that, in which I discussed all that in the New York Review, and someone called up and said, I know there is such a machine I went out to see it, and that's how it all began. It's a long answer, but that's how it happened. Right. Uh, what have been some of your challenges in, in, in trying to uh, you know, popularize the use of this machine? What needs to happen? Well, the main, to- the main challenge is, is the inertia on the part of publishers who don't know what to do now. They're all confused. Well, I... And there are, there, are, there are other things that had to be dealt with. There, was, there were a lot of technical engineering problems that had to be solved. I, let me also just add that, that there's also, um, again, you, it depends on where you are in the world here, but I think there's, there's another fundamental issue. It isn't so much in the publishing end. It's related, and it's on the book selling end. There are some of the major retailers that have the most market share have a, have a format which is um, 
similar to what you saw with the record music record business 15 years ago. And that format's not going to, in my view, is not going to last. Uh, you don't need 30,000, 40,000 square foot stores. You don't need to have um, all this inventory that, that moves at best one and a half, two times a year. It just doesn't work. The economics don't work anymore that way. So while we're creating disruptive technology, which, inten- which really is intended to, to it re- almost requires a change, not just in the way publishers view their business, but the way retailers view their business. So equally challenging has been how do you, how do you sell these machines into formats which don't make sense anymore? Well, the answer is you don't. <laughs> so you have to look at formats that are a little more, that are, that are more accommodating to this. And, and so we've done, we're doing that, at least in the U.S. Outside the U.S., um, it's a little less of an issue because you don't have those, those same large um, uh, kind of, kind of mega, store, mega bookstores. So um, the other thing, the other thing that's going to happen is shortly is that you won't just have to be a bookstore to have this machine. But having said that, you kind of you're going to lead first with the bookstore space and a library space, and then the non-bookstore space will follow. Right. Uh, how is the rise of e-readers, you know, like the Kindle and uh, the even more than that, the iPad uh, from Apple? Uh, done to redefine uh, the book business, and what opportunities and risks do you think uh, uh, will this pose? Um, did I, do you want to take a shot at that first, Jason? That's hard to predict how all that's going to sort itself out. I think that the uh, one-purpose machines like Kindle and Sony Reader and so on will uh, be replaced by multi-purpose machines. Uh, of which iPad is probably a forerunner, but if it works, there'll be a lot more of them. And people who like to read books on screens will read their books on those devices, along with their newspapers and so on. But as I said before, I think most people in most parts of the world will will, will prefer physical books. Uh, Do you see much of a future for mobile publishing? For what? Uh, For Um, publishing on mobile phones? I didn't hear the word. The mobile, yeah, m- mobile publishing. I, I, yeah, um, mobile publishing for actually publishing two, two of those machines. No, no, I, I think I understand. But the question is, and maybe I could take a stab at this, Jason. The, I, the, one of the questions was, you know, do you see a market for, I think, remote publishing on cell phones and, and those types of devices? Is that the question? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, what would that be? Well, the, there are. Okay, so. Uh, let me try to address each of these. Um, again, what I'm seeing in the mobile space, the iPad space, the, uh, the Kindle space, is from our standpoint, it's been um, a windfall because all of this content that is um, that, that people like Apple and Amazon are striving to get will ultimately be available on, uh, for print for print on demand. So uh, it's been a windfall for us. It's great. Uh, and I think also what you'll see eventually is that from a discoverability standpoint, uh, mobile devices will be used not just to read e-books, but to browse e-books or to provide print options as well. So I think you'll see apps on these phones that will offer much like the patron-driven program in, in universities. The third question is, is um, really a self-publishing question is how, how will self-publishing emerge and what will be the different ways, different formats in which they will ha- happen. 
I happen to believe that self-publishing is largely a print market and largely a local market. Having said that, I do think, and you've seen this in Japan, you'll see a growth of that. There is, a, there will be a growth in kind of what I would say mobile serial printing, uh, mobile serial publishing. It's ephemera. I don't believe it's going to have any real long, long-lasting role, but you will see books being written and consumed on e-readers or mobile phones that will have some serial element to it and longer. But I, I fundamentally believe that market's going to be a more a, a, a print market. Great. Uh, uh, would you have any thoughts on what impact digital publishing has on the costs and pricing for book publishers? I didn't get that question. Uh, the question was, uh, the, the, how is digital um, printing impacting the cost of, of for book publishers and the pricing for book publishers, which is kind of, Matoko Rich wrote an article yesterday on this subject that kind of missed a big part of the puzzle. Do you want to take a stab at that, Jason? Or, or you want well, to... well, how is this going to affect pricing? Is that what the question is? Costs is and pricing. Both costs and pricing. Look, I answered that before. I think that the the, the whole digital phenomenon is going to uh, uh, replace the uh, tr traditional Gutenberg infrastructure with all of its associated costs, so that books will be much cheaper, authors will be paid more, and publishers will have a chance to make more. Uh, okay. And I can't give you the actual numbers. It's all that's for the future to determine, but. But it'll have to be a less expensive operation with digitization than it has been traditionally. Uh, let me ask a question in uh, slightly different. What's going to happen to territorial rights? It seems to me if you have an espresso machine any place in the world, or a computer any place in the world, you can download and print a digital book from any place in the world. Uh, does the, and what is the question? The, then, then what happens, as, as the business is structured now, the, the rights are rights by territory. You have English rights, Dutch rights, American rights, Canadian rights. Well, that ha that'll have to change. Yeah. I mean, the ter ter territorial rights become superfluous when, when, mm -hmm. when content is uh, in that digital cloud and can be downloaded anywhere instantly. Have, so there'll have to be a, another understanding of what, how that thing works. Yeah. Territorial rights are, are an artifact of, of, of the old Gutenberg system. And like so many of those artifacts, it'll have to be changed. How that's going to happen and when it's going to happen and who's going to make it happen and so on, who knows. Have, that, it, it has to happen. Yeah. Have you run into that with your espresso machines in other countries downloading U.S. books? Pardon me? Have you run into that in your experience with espresso machines? One We have it. Yeah, I mean, we have to deal with it every day. We our our ExpressNet software product of filters um, territorial rights. So, if we're given rights, say um, many times we have rights in the U.S. Sometimes we'll have rights in Australia, but we have to filter that. And even even with public domain books, there's it's not every country has the same rule on PD, so we filter those. But eventually, that that aspect of the traditional infrastructure will give way, and there'll be a, a more convenient system. Just, just the way that the copyright is going to have to give way and become universal and simplified. We can't have different copyright conventions everywhere in the in the world. Right. Uh, do Do you uh, anticipate that uh, uh, digitization will lead to any uh, other challenges on the intellectual property front? For example, do you think books will be Napsterized? The books will be what? Uh, the question is, books. The books are going to get nasty. 
Napsterized, that they're going to get pirated. I think, yes, I think you're going to see yeah, a, a certain amount of that. I think you're going to see a lot. Of, I, you're seeing it already. I mean, there's, there's, it's a real issue in the ebook market, uh, piracy, because authors do not have a, a great way to monetize other than writing their books. I mean, they're not like rock stars that can go out. And, and well, I, I would disagree a bit with that, Dane. The, um, the publishers are going to insist on digital rights management. That is the software program that protects, yeah. that prevents file sharing. But, they're, but and, and that's going to become more sophisticated as time goes by. Otherwise, there won't be any books because well, the authors won't be able to survive. I agree with you, by the way, but it's happening. They're getting around that now. There are websites now that are whole websites uh, devoted uh, to these things. I know, I know there are, but they still, I don't think, I think, I don't, I'm only guessing, but I don't think that's going to be any more a problem than, than, than what happens, what's traditionally happened when I lend you my physical book or a library lends me a book. Uh, that will, I don't think that will be, if that would have overwhelmed the system, it would be the end of everything. There would be no more books because nobody would could afford to write them. Well, I mean, there is the print book. Right. There is the printed book. And just just so you know about our technology, because uh, it, there is a, a major difference, the digital file that we get printed never goes to the consumer. It, it, it actually is It's either pulled from the server of the publisher or we host them. It goes in a centralized place. It goes to our machine. It gets printed and then destroyed. So from that from a, that standpoint, it's a very secure system. But I, I do think ebooks, maybe Jason, maybe they'll solve it. But I think it's a it's a, it's a big issue. As you look at all the changes that are going on in publishing, uh, how do you think the structure of the industry is going to evolve? Do you see there'll be a few large global monopolies or no, a, a much it, much smaller uh, companies? Uh, I think it won't evolve, it'll devolve, it'll become more the way it was before these conglomerates happened. You have to understand that these conglomerates were not rationally assembled, they were assembled of necessity because of certain kinks in the way the system worked. Uh, Fifty years ago, publishing was essentially a cottage industry. Each company was run by a hand, and effectively by a handful of editors with a minimal uh, management and many services were, were farmed out. That's how Random House worked. That's how Simon and Schuster worked. That's how they all did. <coughs> uh, then, uh, I... then, then what happened when the when the uh, a marketplace changed from one based on large independent bookstores that could carry extensive backlist to a, a, a market on in shopping malls where the backlist didn't figure, then. Um, um, Bestsellers became the, 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 uh, an obligation and necessity. Publishers had to provide bestsellers for these shopping mall stores to stay in business. And the rights to those likely bestsellers were then put up at auction, and the smaller publishers couldn't afford to compete, so they joined with the larger publishers. Random House then picked up a number of imprints, um, Knopf and Pantheon and so on. And even that didn't work, because even those proto-conglomerates, so to speak, like Random House and Simon and Schuster back in the nineties, uh, they couldn't compete. They couldn't put up these million dollar, two million, five million, ten million dollar risks. So they collapsed into the present conglomerates. So these conglomerates were not rationally assembled as the most efficient way of printing books. They were assembled because someone had to be able to fund these auctions, this gambling situation that we got ourselves into. If that's all clear, so there's no. Uh, 
but these conglomerates don't function. There's much too much overhead. There's much too much complexity. There's too much unnecessary management. Lawyers get in the way of everything, and that can't last. And the uh, and digitization will, I I think, inevitably have to replace it. Can, can I just? I would like to add just one nuance on that, which maybe I slightly differ. It's not so much about the publishing houses; it's about the supply of content. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the, the consumption of content uh, will be massively decentralized, either through expressive book machines or e-readers or whatever. The supply of content, I think, there is a there is an issue, and it is a, there is a growing concern that that places like Google and Amazon, and you even have in Europe, you have places like Gallica and others. They are developing very large digital um, discovery mechanisms and digital warehouses. So, so it, there, there is somewhat of a trend um, towards centralized digital hosting and discovery and decentralized distribution and consumption. How, and you've seen that that debate that's going on right they're, now. With they're, they're not going to become publishers. They can't do that. It, it's not publishers. It's just, it's just it's but distribution. It is, it's or discovery. The publishing function, let's be clear about what it is, the publishing function is the one that identifies and presents a, a, a viable title to the world, and that is entirely an editorial function. Once that function is performed, then the distribution uh, situation takes over. But I think the question is, was about what publishing companies are going to be, how, how content is going to be created. Okay, then from that standpoint, I agree. If it's but from the distribution of discovery, I think that's going to get centralized. And, but but the editorial work will be right. Will be radically decentralized. Yeah, I think small groups of like-minded editors will come together. Uh, it'll cost the the cost of entry will be trivial, and they will begin to publish books I, I, uh, and, and and probably post them on specialized websites. I agree with that. But uh, just to add to that, so much content that's already been published, though. I mean, that's most. Of, I mean, there's millions and millions and millions of files that have already been published that can represent the bulk of these catalogs. That stuff will get more and more centralized. Well, that's Chinese. The back, that's the back list, but the front list will grow rapidly, too. Okay. Does that, does that clearly answer your question? <laughs> uh, and yes, it does, in a manner of speaking. So, so if, if I understand you, with digitalization and print-on-demand... We'll move away from a focus on bestsellers and have a much larger number of books that probably sell far fewer copies. Is that, is that well, reasonable? Yes, I think that's true. I, I, there'll still be bestsellers. I mean, there'll, there'll still be Stephen Kings and, uh, and, and John Grisham's. And that's, that's, that's really a separate activity from, from the, the main line of what bookselling is. That business could exist without any of what we're talking about. All John Grisham needs really is a printing company and a truck. That's the all the publishing work that has to be done. Those books are pre-sold. You just ship them out to Price Costco and so on, and, and there you have it. Uh, that's a totally different arrangement from what it takes to actually to publish a, a real book, a, a book of substance. Not, not to say those aren't real books too, but, uh, but the kinds of books we're talking about here. All right. Let me again. Let me add a nuance to that because you're, you're talking about trade. Okay, that's not when you're now when we're looking at academic library acquisitions. No, I think the front list in that genre, which is not bestsellers, but it is front list, will become increasingly available through our system. 
That's the patron-driven model we're talking about, which is the acquisition model of libraries. I think more and more libraries are going to go to a just-in-time delivery mechanism because they're down because of endowment issues, and that is the front list. It's not the trade market; it's the academic market. Um, I, internationally, I have to say that um, I just came back from a trip in Egypt, where I talked to an Arabic language publisher who publishes Harry Potter. She wants to make that book available in Arabic on our machine. See, it's hard to. Gen- I mean, I think Jason's right about generally, about, but in, it, you've got to look at this thing genre-wise, internationally, and internationally as well, because there's different things happening in different places. Well, it, it really, it, a lot of things are going to happen that nobody can foresee. Yeah. It always happens with a new with a new technology, but. Um, uh, I think basically books are going to remain books as far as content is concerned. That's not going to change an awful lot. Can't, and um, and I think there'll be many, many more of them published, and they'll be better published because the editors will have more control over the situation. All that's to the good. And I think the the effect of digitization is, I think, ninety percent positive. I'm very happy with it. But I, I think to try to uh, anticipate the outcome in detail would be like trying to anticipate from a uh, the old Stanley Steamer, what the automobile industry was going to be like in the 1990. You can't really do that. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.